Parsha Shlach. One of the tragic Parshas of the Torah. When we see. Bahakla Yisrael fell from the level they were. At Hasinai. They were en route to. Conquering Eretz Yisrael. And uh, because of the Aver of the Miraglim. They lost their, all those privileges. And they were condemned to die in the Midbar. So yes, we look at the Miraglim as one of the tremendous tragedies of the Torah. But there's a certain confusion. Because even though we look at the Miraglim as being tragic, when we would ask the question, how did Moshe Rabbeinu feel about sending Miraglim? So we know the answer. Moshe tells us himself. In Pasha's Tvarim, Moshe recounts a story. He says, You all gathered together by me. He said, Let us send people in front of us. And they will scatter out the land. And how does Moshe react to the request to send Miragli? And Moshe tells us, He says, The matter was good in my eyes. Moshe was for sending Miragli. And if that's the case, we left wondering. If Moshe thought the idea of Samaragim was a good idea, so what went so tragically wrong? So let's address this first from a halachic perspective. There's a halacha about a witness. And the halacha of evidence is that someone is possible to be a witness if he has any nagir, any vested interest in the case he's being a witness about. We recall that the evidence would make a difference to him, impact on him in some way, then he's not kosher to give evidence. Because he's not completely impartial. An example of this, the Gemara says in, in Baba Basra, about a story of a town where there was one shul and the Sefer Torah was stolen from the shul and there were witnesses who saw the Ganav stealing the Torah but the Gemara says that those witnesses cannot come to Basin to testify against the Ganav because they are since they are part of the community and this is their shul if that's the case they would have a vested interest in having the Sefer Torah returned and therefore, they aren't kosher for evidence. And if that's the case, let's ask the question. And that is, really, Miraglim, spies, are just Adim. They're going to see the evidence, and they're coming to report back on what they see. So a spy is really just an aid. And if that's the case, being as the spies are members of Klal Yisrael, we were slated to go to Eretz Yisrael. If that's the case, their evidence is going to be Nagebe Dovar. They're going to have a slant on, the, on what they're going to see. And if that's the case, how do we makabal the Aedus of the Miraglim? And I think the answer is that it's true. 
if we look in Chazal to see what Chazal emphasizes as being the root cause of the mistake of the Miraglim, Chazal makes this point. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin that Megillus Eicha, the litany of Klai Israel's tragedies, is written in alphabetical order. From Aleph, it starts with Eicha, Yashva, Vadad, and Tultaf. And so the Eicha follows the exact sequence of the Aleph base with one exception. The letter Pei comes before the letter Ayin. And the Gemara says the reason for this is because of the Miraglim that put their Pei, which means their mouth, in front of their eye, in front of their eye. So here Chazal are, so to speak, giving us a clarification. What was the mistake of the Miraglim? They put the pay, they put the mouth in front of the eye, in front of the eye. What does that mean? It means, this is well known, that being as the miraculous had a certain bias. Therefore, what they saw, they saw in a, in a skewed fashion. They saw things based on their slant, on their angle, how they understood it. So first there was the pair, first there was the decision or the, the perspective that they wanted to have. And after they had that, there was the iron. Everything they saw, they saw in that light. But like we said before, this wasn't unexpected. The Miraglim had a vested interest in Eretz Yisrael. They all did. Because it would be Nagaya to them. They were also going to be part of the people moving there. Part of the people who were slated to fight the kings of Canaan. If that's the case, it wouldn't have been possible for the Miraglim to be completely impartial. Ella what? Here we come to the difference between Moshe's perspective and that of Israel. And that is, what, how, what was Moshe's starting point regarding going to Eretz Yisrael? We know because Moshe mentioned it in our sixth parasha. He tells the sons of Chayvah ben Ruel and Midyani, he tells Yisra's family, he says, We're traveling to the place which Hashem promised us. Come with us. We'll be good to you. Hashem has promised good for Klai Yisrael. And here we see the point. Moshe's perspective was, we're looking forward to going to Eretz Yisrael. It's going to be good. And if that's the case, if there was going to be Miraglim who are going to view Eretz Yisrael, but with which perspective are they going to view Eretz Yisrael? Moshe assumed they felt Akhidr. And if that's the case, Miraglim are excited, they're enthusiastic. They're going to see the good of Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, when the idea came up, so Moshe was for it. Let's do it. The Miraglim will be positively predisposed towards Eretz Yisrael. They'll come back with a good report. But what Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know is that Klai Yisrael didn't share his feelings. He was positive. He was looking forward to Eretz Yisrael. He was confident of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's assistance. Klai Yisrael were downright terrified. And therefore the slanting bias of Klai Yisrael was against Eretz Yisrael was we aren't able to conquer Israel. 
And being as that was where the Miraglim were coming from, so that was the, what colored, that was distorted everything they saw. And therefore they came back with the report, which tied into the deep-rooted feeling that Israel had. And that is something we can't do. The people are too strong, Israel is impenetrable, and we're not going to succeed. And therefore, because of that starting point, even though Moshe had originally been in favor of sending the Miraglim, the Miraglim came back and caused all the damage that they did. Okay. So we've already learned one point. Now let's take a line of reasoning a step further. And that is, how did Yeshua and Kalev withstand withstand the other miraculous. If that was the starting point that they had, that was the feeling that they began with, where did Yeshua and Kodav get the strength to go against them? And to return with a verdict which was good. So we see from the Psukim, Yeshua and Kodav might have echoed the same sentiments but the mahalach, the method they used was very different regarding Yeshua we find Moshe Rabbeinu giving him a bracha adding a letter to his name and saying HaKadosh Baruch should protect you from the other Miragli regarding Kalev we don't find any such haftachos but we see Kalev made his own way to Hebron to Daven and Obviously, Hashem answers that filler, and therefore he doesn't get caught up with the other miraculous. Really, this wasn't just a different approach taken by Yeshua and Kalev. We know that Yeshua was from Shevet Yosef, from Shevet Ephraim, Kalev was from Shevet Yehuda. And we'll see that there was a difference of approach between leadership of Yosef and leadership of Yehuda. And it runs throughout. If we look at the kings from the house of Rachel, Shaul Amalek, who comes from Binyamin, and Yeroboam ben Nevat, who comes from Yosef, who comes from Ephraim as well. If we look at the kings of Yosef, we find an interesting thing. And that is, there were people of tremendous stature. They began on a level higher than the rest of Kal Yisrael. Bashal says, He was head and shoulders above anyone else in the people. It's understood physically. He was taller. As on the sin Ruchnius also, he was in a greater Madrega. So Shaul was chosen as a king because Shaul had qualities, superiority. Yeravan ben Nevat, when the Navi Achia Shiloni comes to make him a king, it says the two of them were alone in the field. And there was no one else with them in the field. Say Chazal, that this could be understood, be marshaled to mean that compared to the two of them 
all the other Chachmei Yisrael were like grass in the fields. They were on a level of prominence, of superiority, which was head and shoulders, way above the rest of Klai Yisrael. So we see, when we're talking about leaders from the house of Rachel, it's a natural leader, a person who's on a higher darga. Not only that, something which is foretold in the prophecy. Yosef himself was given the dreams that he's going to become a king. And he's only a, it's still a Bachar of 17. Shaul, Yeravam, were all given the Vuh. We're all told Meirosh that they were going to become kings. Yahshua also. He was already being, being primed as the Talmud of Moshe Rabbeinu, as the future successor of Moshe. And he comes with the Aftachah that Moshe gives him that HaKadosh Baruch is going to protect him. That's one Maharach to leadership. A person isn't swayed by the common opinion because a person is above that. And therefore, in the case of Yeshua, he could withstand the feelings of the Miraglim. In the case of the king, whether it was Yeshua, who was also called like a king, Shaul, whoever, Yeravam. So they had the national qualities that they were above Klai Yisrael, that made them suitable for the throne. But we have another Malchus also. Malchus of Yehuda, Malchus based David. And here we see exactly the opposite. David isn't primed for the king because of his greatness, because of his natural prominence. On the contrary, the David who are cotton. David was the smallest, the youngest of Yeshai's sons, the ones everybody thought unworthy for the becoming a king. David didn't have a natural, so to speak, greatness beforehand. And nevertheless, how does David view himself? We know, in Sefer he tells us many times. He says, I'm like a worm and not a person. He says, I was considered a stranger by my own brothers. He says, And that's the second means, the second derech to the, to the kingship, to leadership. When a person doesn't feel he has natural talents, he doesn't feel he has the qualities. He feels missing. He feels inferior. But he davens to Hashem. And Tfilah is successful. Like David says about himself, I'm an expression of Tfilah. David says about himself, I was the Eben Moasu Aboinim. I was a stone who was cast off by the builders. Because Me'es Hashem hoises us. Not a person who is naturally a leader. But a person who realizes that he doesn't have any davenes to Hashem. And HaKadosh Baruch provides. And if that's the Mahalach of Malchus Pes David, we see this by Kolev also. 
Kalev who was given no haftachas meirosh. Kalev who nobody promised that he was going to be successful. Kalev who wasn't on a level higher than the other Meragim. But Kalev realized that. And therefore Kalev goes to Davin. Kalev goes to Davin and Tveris successful. That's the Mahalik of Gadlus of Machus Pes Yehuda. You heard it himself. As opposed to Yosef who had dreams, who was foretold in prophecy that he was going to be a king, there was no foretelling that Yehuda was going to be a king. The Mahalik of Yehuda to the throne, the Mahalik of Malchus Pes David also, is the Mahalik of a person who realizes that he doesn't have and therefore he has to dive and where did this all begin? We see this difference already in the ancestry of both of these We see this difference between the mothers of both of them, between Rachel and Leah. Chazal say that everybody used to say, Lavan has two daughters, Rivka has two sons. The older one should be for the older one. The younger one for the younger. Which means Esav should marry Leah and Yaakov should marry Rachel. So what do we see? That Rachel was naturally meant for Yaakov. Leah wasn't. So how did Leah achieve become one of the most of Kali Yisrael? The Bible tells us the Ene Leah Rakhis. It was from the years of crying of Tvila, the years of tears and davening, that brought Leah to the place where she also deserved to marry Yaakov. It wasn't a given. It wasn't a given. To the contrary, Leah realized that she didn't deserve it. And she only achieved it through Tvila. And therefore, just like Rachel was naturally, so to speak, chosen for Yaakov, Rachel's sons, the kings of Shevet, Yosef and Benjamin, were chosen because they were natural leaders. They were on a higher level. We could even say they deserved it. Whereas the kings of Beis David, sons of Leah, the way they achieved was specifically through Tefillah. Feeling unworthy, but feeling it through Tzvilak and Davin, that's how the chief. This goes to the next level also. The Asid Lava, we're looking forward to the day when the Goda will come. There will be two human architects involved in it. Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. Mashiach ben Yosef will be a leader from the ranks of Klai Israel. A tzaddik Somebody who's head and shoulders above. Somebody who naturally deserves to lead. Someone who's on a dargo of tzidkos which outshines everyone else. There's also Mashiach ben David. And how does the Navi describe Mashiach ben David? As a ish oni on the A person, a poor person of lowly spirit. Or as the Navi Zachariah says, an oni rechavarachamar. A poor man riding on a donkey. Mashiach bin David 
won't see himself as worthy of being the Mashiach. On the contrary, he'll see himself as being the Oni, as being unworthy. But he'll daven. He'll daven as the Torah tells us. HaKadosh Baruch will answer his Tvilis. And Mikayach, all the Tvilis, that's what will bring him, make him worthy of being the Mashiach bin David. So there's two tracks to Jewish leadership. While the Miraglim all felt a certain bias against Eretz Yisrael, which manifested itself in the description they gave, in the report they returned, Yeshua and Kalev managed to stay strong. Yeshua was given the guarantee Merosh, Moshe's promise, Moshe's bracha. And Kalev, through his own tefillah, was given that strength to withstand the miracle. I want to finish with one last point. Rabbi said, of the two, which one's greater? So we know, even though there'll be Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David, but if you can call it the primary leader, the primary redeemer of Christ was Mashiach ben David. And same thing over here. After the story of the Miraglim, when Hashem tells Moshe, I'm going to destroy these people in the desert. They're going to wander for 40 years. But, Va'avdi Kalev, my servant Kalev, he's different. I'll bring him to Israel and give him the place where he went. And the pastor doesn't mention Yeshua. It just mentions Avdi Kalev. Yeshua is also a tzaddik. Yeshua also didn't fall for the mistake of the Miraglim. But we see the special avtacha of Kalev is my Evet was unique to him. Vavdi Kalev. Vidavid Avdi Raya Lehem Lo'elam. The kingship of Taish was also called Avdi. The Mahalikh of realizing a person doesn't have and therefore turning to Hashem in Tefillah to help. That's the second Mahalikh. The Mahalikh of Malchus Pes David. The Mahalikh of Kalev. And eventually the Mahalikh of Mashiach. And we'll finish what the Mephashim bring. That what Klai Yisrael lost by not following Yeshua and Kalev, by not listening to them when they said, Tova Haaretz Moed Moed, and therefore forfeiting the ability to enter Israel, Klai Yisrael will be attacked. When we're given again the leadership of Yosef and Yehuda, when we have Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David, will once again show us the way and bring us back to Eretz Israel, where be Amen, Amen.